Blog Talk Radio. So, 
what happened that I mean that night uh my my friend who's probably listening uh she got me all caught up having to go to the after party against my will and then um I woke up in my full on suit and everything Thursday uh was it Thursday yeah Thursday morning but enough about me um let's get to the guests I'll I'll continue the uh holiday party story on uh Wednesday check your local listings for Blaze and Rye backstage this coming Wednesday. Uh, let's see. Actually, who was that? 718 number just came in and out. thought it was my guest, but I have no idea. Probably was. Uh, Steve Carrington should be on in, in just a minute. Oh, let me just see if they're trying to reach me. So uh, what happened was then on... on Thursday. Okay, here we go. Uh, my guest tonight has a new album coming out in 2014 called The Caring Tone. Please welcome tenor, jazz saxophonist, Steve Carrington. Steve, how are you, sir? Jazz saxophonist, Steve Carrington. Hello. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing? Jazz I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm getting a lot of echo of hey, myself over there. Doing all right. I'm, I'm getting a lot of echo over there. I, I know. Doing all right. I'm getting a lot of echo over there. All right. Is, is there a way to, to to turn that off or no? All right. Is, I, I don't. I no. I, I would probably have. Wait a minute. Let me try to put it on. Put it on regular. Hold on. Okay. Hello? Ah, there you are. How are you, sir? I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Um, How are you, sir? I'm okay. Oh, dear. Okay, we're getting the echo still. Well, I'm take. Well, okay, I'm moving away from this. Is this even better? Yeah, I think if you have it playing, you, you want to not have it playing in the background. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Hey, how you doing? There we are. Okay. So, Steve, uh, your your website says that your sound is both old school and avant-garde. How do you go about getting right. that, that unique sound? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, give me answer that question again. Uh, your website says that your sound is both old school and avant-garde. How do you go about getting that unique sound, sir? Uh, well, you know, we, we, listening to a lot of players, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So to find your own voice. So I've listened to everyone from Grover Washington to Kenny Garrett, mm-hmm. and which is, uh, you know, and even before Grover, you're talking anywhere from Lester Young all the way now to Kenny Garrett. So you're talking about old players, Dexter Gordon, Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane, everyone, and in between. It helps you to find your, you know, your voice. Right. And what do you think it is that differentiates you between you and all those other players? Oh, well, you know, I I, I can't even be compared to any of them. But I know in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what a lot of people say about me is my sound is uh, is a big and beautiful sound on the tenor saxophone. 
So, and today, uh, not that cats don't have big sounds, because some do, uh, but it's rare. You know, back in the back in the day, that's that you were identified by your sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're from East Baltimore. Tell, tell me about growing up there. Was it as as rough as the wire makes it seem? <laughs> I think uh, it wasn't as rough back then. You're talking like you know, I was born in '67, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't rough when I was growing up. Not, not, not really. I mean, but okay. it was still Baltimore, but not as rough as now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it, but it was music was always rich there, though. Right. So right. for me, I was always into music and into you know sports. And kind of kept me away from, uh, from, from, from those things that are. That are that are obviously there that you see on the wire, like uh, the you know drug dealing and different things like that. Kind of kept me away from it. It was there, but not very prevalent. Not not like today. Right. And and right. how did growing up in Baltimore in that era um, influence your uh, music? Well, I mean, again, there are a lot of great musicians in Baltimore. I mean, uh, especially in the jazz world. I mean, uh, Gary Thomas, saxophone player. Um, Gary Bartz. Have you? I don't know if you know these names, but Gary Bartz. I know a few, not all. Yeah. Well, Gary Bartz was was around since the seventies, mm-hmm. or maybe even earlier than that. But I mean, you know, and he's. He's a major leader on a jazz scene as an alto saxophonist, and he's been around a long time. Um, th- there was a growing scene down there. You ever heard of Parliament Funkadelic? Yes, yeah, sure, George Clinton. Yeah, P.P. Funk. Well, the drummer that he had back in the day, he took yeah, he took that drummer. That drummer was in Baltimore named Dennis Chambers. Mm-hmm. Took him when he was 15 years old. Baltimore is a great oh, wow. place for breeding musicians. I mean, you have a lot of musicians that live here in New York that are from Baltimore that are, uh, are prominent musicians. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some that are even uh, teach like in master programs at Queens College, you know, places like that. But they're, but they're, but they're internationally known musicians. Right. Uh, a lot of them are known in the jazz world. But some have played in, the, you know, in the mainstream as well. Mm-hmm. But Baltimore's always been rich. Uh, growing up, I used to play at this place. My apprentice was playing at this place called the Sportsman's, and they had it was had an organ and drums in the place. It was every Monday night, and if you were a musician coming along at that time, you know, we all we went there to learn how to play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just like New York has tons of places like that for musicians, for musicians to go and play and hone their skills. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Yeah, so and you what, had that in Baltimore. You... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So you had that in Baltimore during then, and it was, it was you know, I was very young. Again, like I said, I started playing when I was seven. So I was very young going into those places, like in my early teens, you know what I mean? And, yeah, uh, what made you pick up that sax at age seven? 
Well, there was next to my grandmother's house. There was a there was a gentleman that was playing saxophone late at night when I was staying at my grandmother's house for the summer. The room I slept in was right next to his room, because in Baltimore there are row houses. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could hear him play, and it would wake me up. When he would play, he'd come home and play. Mm-hmm. So basically, I asked one day, could I play it? I watched him play in the yard. And then after that, in the rest of the history, my pop got me a saxophone, you know, and went and, I, and it went on from there. So it never yeah. bothered you that the sax was keeping you up at night? You you were all about it. Oh, no, I liked it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Good. That's lucky. Yeah. Um, and then you came up, and then you uh, got a scholarship to study at, at Berkeley. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I went there, but I didn't finish. I did some time there, and then I went to the military, Mm -hmm. to the military band, you know, after that. But Berkeley was very rich because, you know, I I really wanted to go to anywhere because I learned, I wanted to study with uh, Bill Pierce, who used to play with the Jazz Messengers. And I don't don't know if you've uh, ever heard of Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Uh, Not until I read your bio, no. Okay, yeah, our Blakey, you know, he, he's like one, was one of the cats that everybody was trying to come to his band, you know what I mean? It was a band where you learned how to play. You learned how to become, you got to, again, if you had something, Blakey took you and uh, you got to hone your skills. You know, mm-hmm. being on his, uh, you know, in his band gave you a platform, you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, and so many musicians came through there. Uh, you talking about all the way back from Lee Morgan, um, even the great Lou Donaldson who's still alive. Um, uh, Freddie Hubbard played in his band. Um, uh, Clifford, Clifford Brown, um, Hank Mobley, um, Kenny Garrett. Everybody played with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but Bill Pierce was in that band, and and I knew, you know, and uh, studying with him would would, would be beneficial, you know, and and it was also getting me closer to New York, you know what I mean? Right. And so, was he more of a teacher or more of a a, a, someone that you kind of collaborated with, or both? Well, he was a teacher. He was definitely an instructor. But Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, when you get around those guys. They kind of mentor you too. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then yeah. you mentioned that you go uh, to the military after that. What made you go into the U.S. Army? Well, uh, you know, the U.S. Army. You go into the U.S. Army because they had a band, mm-hmm. and that band playing in the band allowed you. Again, well, you know, when you're out here playing, you know, you know, you're trying to stay focused on being able to pay your bills. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> but the Army gave, gave you a platform. You also got to practice, and they're paying you. And then they also, too, pay you off your, you know, the, if there was a trade-off, pay for any any school that you had out there and then give you more money to go to, continue to go to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same token, you got but you but the job I was doing in there was what I naturally do, which is play music. So I guess you had you know a few incentives to go then, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was a great time. I was in Germany, 
It was great. Uh, any, I mean, was it ever, were you ever in danger over there? No, I wasn't in any danger. No. No? Okay. Nah. Um, <laughs> and I read that you also uh, received a, a medical scholarship. Is that true? Well, it's not a medical scholarship. It's, it's when my, 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 what, she, what my publicist was writing was, my, you know, that I know of, that I'm in medicine. So my medis, medical scholarship in terms of the knowledge of medicine. I see. So yeah, you're, not like, you're in medicine as well? Right. Right. <laughs> um, so you're you're involved in the medical field as well, or yeah, I do, yeah, and patient, yeah, I do, yeah, and patient care, exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. Got it. Um, and uh, then after uh, after all that, you moved to New York, played with some amazing people. Uh, yeah. Dizzy Gillespie, Charles Mingus, Epitaph. Tell me about that. Well, that was back in the, when I first I, I, I came to New York, and I was really going back and forth at that time. You're talking about like early '90s. This is, you know, what I'm saying it, it, the, the 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 bio's a little out of sequence. So early '90s, I did that, and I got to check. You know, back then the Mingus band was called the Charles Mingus Epitaph Band. It was just a big band, and actually mm-hmm. they had this place called Visionis down on. Wester, like you know what? If you know New York, you know the Blue Note Jazz Club, the Blue Note. Sure, yeah. But up the street from the Blue Note, there's a place called. Right now, that place is called the Groove, but it used to be called Visionis back in the '90s. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking early '90s. And wow. uh, so, uh, you, they had a jam session there, and a great vibraphonist who's who's still out here now. Uh, you see, well, first Eddie Henderson ran the jam session, which is a trumpet player. But this vibraphonist I met, that was when I first came in town. I met him named Joe Locke. And Joe actually was playing, they were playing a Freddie Hubbard tune, uh, Lament for Booker, and I was actually humming the flute part as it was going by because he was playing the flute part on the on the vibraphone. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh-huh. And I was singing it, and he looked over to me. He said, "A lot of cats didn't know the know that." And I was like, "Yeah, you know." And uh, and I, just so happened during that time, I was listening to that particular Red Freddie Hubbard record a lot. You know what I mean? Okay. So, uh, 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 so Joe introduced me to Sue Mingus, who 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 was Charles Mingus, the late Charles Mingus's wife. She's still alive. Who actually handles the Mingus band? So mm-hmm. basically, that's how I got to play with them. You know, Joe introduced me to them, and sure. and then Dizzy I met when I was at Berkeley, actually. So you're talking about that was really like in the late 80s, like late eighties. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you played with him at Berkeley, or, or yeah, later on in New York? Yeah, later on. Yeah. And I played oh, with okay. him in Boston too, yeah. Gotcha. And uh, in New York, you also sat in with uh, Elvin Jones, Joey DeFrancesco, and Wynton Marshall. And that, that came later. You're talking about now. Later. That happened around about '03, '02, actually, just before I'm he all died. Out of whack. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just before he died, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was that like? 
Oh man, you, 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 do you know who Elvin Jones is? I I do not. I'm sorry. Elvin Jones was, was the drummer that played with John Coltrane uh, on all those records. And I'm sure you heard of, you may have heard of John Coltrane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Elvin Jones was his drummer. Mm-hmm. He had his own band, you know, in, in later, and I and I um I got to sit in and play with him uh, at the Blue Note actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was amazing, amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, man. I mean, because you're talking about somebody you've been listening to on records all your life. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and he was one of the people that actually was there when the music was being innovated. Mm-hmm. You know, just were like you nervous Disney, at all, same or... thing. Uh, were you nervous to kind of play in the presence of? Uh, yeah, I was excited and nervous at the same time. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was it like playing with Wynn Marsalis? Oh, well, that, that's, that, 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 that was another thing that was very, you know, it was exciting. Not as nervous, but exciting. Uh, you know, because I, I actually got hooked up playing with him through his alto player, who was in, because okay. Wes heard me, and I wound up playing with Wes for a little while. Uh, Russell Anderson was the alto player, was the lead alto player in Lincoln Center's band for a while. And then I, but he had his own band on the side, and they were doing their own things. He had a sextet, and he was using tenor sax and trumpet in the front. So we, it was um, tenor, trumpet, and alto, and mm. drums, bass, and uh, piano. And, you know... And he actually introduced me to Winton, and, and we're cool to this day, all of us. Yeah, but it was it was yeah. a lot of fun. But Winton used to come and hang out, man, right on air okay. uh, on, on uh, there's this place on Ninety Second Street between it's on Ninety Third Ninety Third and Broadway, mm-hmm. called Cleopatra's Needle, and they have music there every night. But on my, it used to be back like early. 2000s, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Maybe just as just as the century, just I mean, early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, 2003, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They were, uh huh. They were the piano player that played with the band used to um, have. He used to run the session on Monday night. And the whole Lincoln Center band used to come there every Monday and hang out. So mm-hmm. when you, you could come there and you could hear when he would come and play a couple of tunes. And you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. of course, that piano player doesn't play with them no more. I mean, he's really big now. I mean, he plays, I mean, he's all done in movies and stuff like that now. Eric Lewis. Okay. Yeah. But there's so many great musicians in New York, and, you know, a lot of them don't get heard like they should be. Why you do you think that because, is? Well, because the media follows certain people mm-hmm. instead of just, you know. And it, it happened the same way back in the day. Back in the day, you know, I, I, one time I hung out with the, the late, great Stanley Turrentine. I was at his house, and he was letting me hear all these records. Uh, I was like, I was young, but he, you know, but he, he let me hear all these records. 
all these records are these sax players that I never heard of, but they were they were all great records. And he was telling me, you know why nobody knows them? And he said, you know why you ain't hear of them? Because he said, because while this guy was playing, the media was chasing Coltrane. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think I think it's enough to go around where everybody can be talked about. You know what I'm saying? Do you think that this new social media age helps that or hurts that? I think I think it helps it, but I think you have to have you got to have a team around you to flood the to flood the media. Right. Like you got to always be on there in some kind of way. You know what I mean? Mhm. Sure. Be, you know, because I, I'll tell you a classic example. I knew Michael Buble. You heard of Michael Buble, right? Yep, yep, yep. Michael Buble. Now, he's he's okay, but I heard him when he was coming up at the Blue Note, early maybe oh, 2002, yeah. 2003, before he was big. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And when he was, because uh, the Blue Note had the up-and-coming artist night on Monday. They still do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, um, he performed on a Monday night there. Wow. And I heard him. I had never heard of him until then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I saw him, and I was like, and now, this is now what, 10 years later? You know what I'm saying? 10, uh-huh. 10, 11 years later, look at him. Yeah. See what I'm saying? But somebody put him out there. Somebody, somebody, you know, heard him. Mm-hmm. And he had a team around him that was helping him, you know, get himself all over the place. Right. And, and you know, and that's, the, that's the key. You know, it's, 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 it's the key is, I think the, the social media, no doubt, Helps it. I mean, it makes it so you don't have to be paying five thousand a month to some uh, publicists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Although you still need those contacts to, you know, to kind of break through and get to the next level. Right. Because you could be a great musician or a great vocalist. I mean, you know, some people they get heard, and then automatically somebody, you know, they're they're being taken. Or some people get introduced through someone who's already established. Yeah. And that's that's a big help. You know what I mean? You know, because like, uh, I mean, that, that like, person kind of brings you into the fold, basically. Right. right. You know, and once you once once that is once that is um, how it is, it is how it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, but, you know, but I, I think it is a big help for people with social media. And you have to know about it nowadays because it's it's changed the whole marketing game. Mm-hmm. It's changed it completely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, my, my good friend and mentor, and I look up to him and, uh, you know, and he probably, probably – I'm sure he, the most uh, uh, exciting alto sax saxophonist out there, Kenny Garrett. You know, mm-hmm. I'm always asking him questions, but you can see, I, I can see where he's, you know, out there, and you can see him all over the internet. You know right. what I mean? 
I mean, but he, you know, he was like the last Sox player to play with Miles Davis. Wow. Yeah, so but he's out, but he's big. You should check. You should check him out. Yeah, absolutely. So you you just mentioned Kenny Garrett. You tell me about tell me about that relationship. With Kenny Garrett and I. Yes. Um, but he's my, you know, he's he, he's a big brother to me, you know, as well as a mentor, you know, uh, beautiful cat, beautiful, beautiful person. Um, music is so warm. Uh, I, I, I've been listening to Kenny Garrett, though, since I was maybe, I was 18. Mm-hmm. I got introduced to Kenny Garrett through a bass player in Baltimore. I used to hang at his house. And I was like, who is that? You know, he, you know, because he was introducing me to other types of music, you know. And he was letting right. me hear. And I heard him, and I was like, Woo, who is that? <laughs> I said, well, this Kenny Garrett. I was like, what? So even back then, I was begging my mother to let me come to New York. I was telling Kenny this, this story. Begging my mother to let me come to New York so I could, so I could hook up with him. <laughs> Find him. And uh, my mother said, no. <laughs> 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 she wouldn't let me go, but mm-hmm. but but you know, but then of course, I mean, I guess uh, as fate would have it, I just later on uh, we we just crossed paths, you know, and uh, and I always wanted to learn from him and just be around him and listen, you know. Yeah. So so I always go where he's playing. And we talk a lot. Hey, I'll tell you, one of the most inspiring musicians around, wow. beyond a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. Where did you guys actually cross paths? Was it at a jazz club, or where were you? Well, yeah. Well, actually, the first time we crossed paths was at the Blue Note. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I used to hang at the Blue Note a lot back when I first came up here in 2000. First actually came and stayed, which was like in, in 2000, 2002. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's when I actually had got out the military. So I stayed. I came right to New York. And I was in Blue Note a lot. And, uh, and it, oh, man, he's, he's, he's a great piano player, too. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we met... I was at his show at the Blue Note, and afterwards, he was playing the piano, just sitting at the piano. And I had my saxophone, and I asked, could I play with him? Because he was playing a, a great standard uh, written by Billy Strayhorn. He was playing Lush Life, and I love that song, right? Mm-hmm. So I started playing it, and he said, mm, and he liked the sound of the horn. So, you know, we I used to see him from time to time then, but then I kind of like didn't see him for a long time. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We hooked back up, you know, we hooked back up like year last year, year before last year, around, around August. And we, that, that's when we really connected. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, because I went to his house and he actually gave me the saxophone I have now. Wow, uh, what did that mean to you? Oh man, it, it, it means everything to me. I, I'm, I'm sentimental about this horn now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it means a lot to me. You know, I play it, practice it every day. It actually reignited me. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. So kind of I mean, I always reinvigorated you. Uh-huh. Huh? Reinvigorated you and made you want to play even more? Yeah, definitely. He infused me. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and you play that one more than any any other one, you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I only have two. I got the one he gave me, and I had the one I had. Gotcha. Yeah. I was getting ready to cry when he gave it to me because I thought he was joking at first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you guys still have Skype jam sessions? Wouldn't there be like a delay? Because I know sometimes when I'm on Skype, uh, it sounds like I'm using. Like he's playing piano sometimes and he calls me. We do face. We do like FaceTime. Oh yeah. Not Skype. It's like FaceTime. You know. It's you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and that works. There's no. You're yeah, not I mean it works. I know it's not really delay. I hear him clear. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean earlier today we was we was just playing saxophone with each other over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Steve, you have your own uh, quartet. Tell me about that. Yeah, I have my own band. Uh, it, it, it ranges from quartet to quintet. So sometimes I use a trumpet player. You know, because some of my music I write for trumpet and sax. Um, but I use uh, some great musicians. Uh, they have their, their their stars in their own right. I mean, the piano player used to play with Kenny back in back back early. I think he played with Kenny maybe like late nineties or something. Mid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Early night. Somewhere in the nineties, he played with Kenny. Maybe late nineties. Um, and that was Anthony Wanzi. Uh, Anthony. Bad boy. Um, so Anthony Wanzi, uh, I use sometimes Brandon Lewis. Brandon Lewis actually has his own band too. Called the name of the band is um, the the program uh, is a program of deprogramming. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name right. of the band. They really they play every Sunday night at the Fat Cat down on Christopher Street. Like late though. Because, you know, they started like twelve thirty one o'clock. So, but it's a great band. And, some, and I play with that band sometimes. And, uh, um, but Anthony has his own trio, and Brandon Lewis is in that trio. And Brandon's uh, fiance is also, she's a bass player. She's She plays with him. And then sometimes I use her. And uh, sometimes I use my cousin from Maryland. He's a drummer, uh, mm-hmm. but on my record there that's coming out, it's Brandon is on it, my cousin's on it, Curtis Lundy is on it. Curtis Lundy used to play with Betty Carter and Blakey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it's it, you know, and it's it's it's, it's going to be a good record. It's a good record. Tell me a little bit about the record while we're on that. So the record is called the Car- uh, a Steve Carrington a Caring Tone. So put on my name, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. But be, that's because people they love my sound. All musicians, that's the, that's what I'm known for is my sound. Right. So, uh, you know, so the you know, and a lot of the tunes on there is uh, on the record. Some I wrote, some are standards, and and again, the the personnel ranges from a quartet to a quintet. And and I even got a little surprise on there where I, I'm singing a song on there. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it, <laughs> did you write it or is it 
a cover. Well, it's of a standard, else. but I mean, you know, like Donny Hathaway Way sung it, and a lot, a lot of great singers sang this tune. Oh, okay. Yeah, surely be on the lookout for that. Um, you just mentioned <laughs> your sound. Uh, the bassist Stanley Banks says that no one can die in your care, Steve, and that whoever you <laughs> play for, they'll laugh and smile forever. Now, do you or does your sax have superpowers or something? Yeah, superpowers, man. It heal you. It, it's <laughs> healing. You know, it's definitely. You know, most. You know, everybody come to hear music because for, it, it makes them feel better. Right. So, you know, you have a responsibility to your listener to uplift hearts, men broken hearts. But and, and you know, and and, and 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 take them away from take them outside of pretty much where they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. To another place. It's almost like meditation. Mhm. You know what I mean? Sure. But it definitely, and, yeah, because you know, most people, when they hear me, they, it makes them happy when they hear me. Right. Really. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody unhappy after I played. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I, I mean, I'd imagine that would cause problems if people <laughs> were upset afterwards. Uh, and you're known right. as a jazz healer. Uh, what What is it about you and your music that, that heals people, do you think, um, other than what you just mentioned? Well, I think, you know, it's a display on the fact that I'm into the medical arts as well. Mm-hmm. And I play jazz. You know what I'm saying? Right. So my publicist came up with the name, like, the Jazz Healer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, but definitely I think jazz is healing. You know, I even heard, uh, I mean, years ago I heard Dizzy said that people come to the club when they come to listen to musicians or they come to listen to jazz musicians or whoever they come into, they come in there because sometimes they might have had a rough day. Like if you at Cleo's, you'll see people that come there and they after a rough day at work, where they come to the bar? They come to get a drink, right? Mm-hmm. They come to the drink to kind of relax themselves and get away from whatever it was, how rough the day was. Right. You know what I mean? But the music should help you take you there. If the, if the musician is genuine, you know, I heard one time one, you know what a cantor is? Cantor? No. A chazan. That's the singer in a, in a Jewish synagogue. Okay. The, the male guy who leads the whole, it's one person who leads all the singing, because they only sing a cappella in synagogues. They don't, there's no, there's no instruments. Right. So, but he's called the Chazan, or the Cantor in English. Mm-hmm. And one Cantor told me one time, he told me that, he said, music from the hearts will truly enter other hearts. You understand? Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Now, wh- Now, really what he's saying is, you think about it, Music is what? It's nothing but sound, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. But now, if you think of sound in terms of sound, sound, different sounds have different effects. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So, he, he, just as simple as this. Words are nothing but sound, too, right? Right. 
but their letters put together make words. The letters are one sound. Then you put those letters together and they make words. Each word has its own sound. Right? Right. Then when you put the words together to make sentences, those sentences which relate thought, they make another sound. You understand? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but, in essence, words ain't nothing but sound, just like music is just sound. And if the sound is manipulated right, it actually has an effect on the soul. And it can heal you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, just like there's a sound that actually can break glass. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Right. Right. And some sounds actually open the heavens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a powerful thing, sound. It's very powerful, yeah. So speaking of sound, uh, are you going to do a little uh, a live performance for us before we go? I'm going to play a little something. I'll holler. Can't wait. <laughs> if you can, you can... Let me know if you hear it. Let Not me know how. Huh? I can hear you so far. All right. You hear that? I hear it loud and clear. Okay.
<laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. I could tell that that was from the heart. What do you call that piece? Oh, the name of that tune is We'll Be Together Again. We'll Be Together Again. And is that from your first album? No, no, that's the standard. <laughs> oh. I just played a little something because, you know, I'm here. and, and here I, I, yeah. I had to let my wife know what I was doing because she just put the kids to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounded great. Um, that was great. Uh, thank you so much for that. Yeah. So how did it sound, though, coming across there? It sounded really good through the phone line, so I hope it sounds just as good on, on the podcast later for everyone who's listening after the show. Uh, but it sounded good on my end. Okay. But it was powerful sound, right? <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Nice and clear, right? Powerful thing. Yes, very clear. Uh, one, one last question before we go. The legendary Chick Korea invited you on stage to play at the Blue Note with him. And he said, keep that big, beautiful yeah, smile yeah. and that big, beautiful sound. Tell me about that, that moment. Well, you know, actually, uh, Kenny, 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 Kenny had hooked it up because I came okay. in to hear Chick. And uh, Kenny, was, Kenny had told me to go over there. And he was like, yeah, Chick needs to hear you. So and, and, and he said it would be good for you. And uh, when I got there, I t- you know, I was introduced to Chick. Actually, Kenny wasn't there. But there was a, a photographer friend. He was there, and he actually does photography for Chick. So he actually, you know, introduced me to Chick. And as I was talking to Chick, Kenny called my phone. How, how, how you know, how, how, how good, how, how good can it get from there? And I just gave the phone to Chick. <laughs> and then Kenny was telling him about me. Mm-hmm. And that was the first night. Tuesday, because, you know, usually bands, when they stay there a week, they start on Tuesday, and they go through the whole week at the Blue Note. So that night, I didn't play that night. I came back Friday night, and that's when Chick invited me up. And when he invited me up, yeah, he invited me to play with him. And when I played with him, he he was like, yeah, we're going to play some more. We're going to play again. We're going to play some more. He said, just keep that big, beautiful smile and that big, beautiful sound. That was it. That's amazing. How, how did that make you feel? Ah, it made me feel real good. Well, first of all, because Chick had never heard me, and you know, and his wife was telling me, you know, it's a big thing. He's letting you sit in because he doesn't usually let let people sit in unless he heard them. <laughs> so he was going on Kenny's word, you know, and you know, I had to, I had to, I had to deal, so I would, so, so my man couldn't be. You know, there wouldn't be no 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 mess up for Kenny. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but so so yeah, so he loved it. Actually, you, you when you look at the picture on my website, if you go to stevecarrington dot com, you see the picture of me playing with Chick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the picture. You saw it, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, right on the the main page, right? You see, he's looking over at me, smiling. Uh huh. Yeah, because he, I think he was surprisingly happy. Like once he heard right. that, you know what I mean? Because he didn't know what I was going to sound like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you impressed him, and uh, I I thank you so much for coming on tonight. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at the Jazz Healer or at Jazz Healer, and it's SteveCarrington dot com. And anything else you want to uh, plug before we go? Uh, I want to thank you for for the opportunity, you know, for speaking and. Uh, you know, and just keep, keep keep telling all the cats out there to just be happy and keep swinging. 
All right. And you're welcome back anytime, sir. Thank you so much for doing it. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Take care, Steve. Okay, bro. Thank you. All right. Sure. Take care. All right. That was Steve Carrington. Uh, go to stevecarrington.com. And like I said, follow him on Twitter at Jazz Healer. All right. We'll be back on Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Blazing Ride backstage. So I can think of no better way of ending the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence. And if you have a Barbie doll, take her and bend her backwards, leave her in some drawers somewhere, burn her knuckles on the stove, just get rid of that thing. Keep swinging, everybody. Good night. <laughs>